So hold on, we're going live. Um, we have, let's just let the, the participants is building, 70, 73. We'll just wait like another 45 seconds for this list to grow as everyone comes into the room. Now that you haven't gone live, Rich? Uh, we've done uh, we've done a couple of these already. We did Mark Cuban a couple of weeks ago. We did Qualcomm uh, last week. Uh, we're going to have another one later in the week. So uh, we're, we're getting better at this the more we do it. Okay, it looks like the participants has now. evened out. We're at about 160. Yep, we got 160 plus people. So I just want to welcome everyone to Lightshed Live. Uh, we started this series a couple of weeks ago, given the, the pandemic, to try to highlight interesting executives and interesting companies within the media and telecom and tech space. I'm joined by my partners at Lightshed, Walt Pysik, Brandon Ross. The three of us are going to spend literally 30 minutes going through the big news of the day, which is Jason Kalar, who we all know really well from his days at Hulu, is back again, taking over the reins at Warner Media. And so I guess maybe first off, Jason, congratulations. This is a huge uh, announcement today. Uh, how long has this been in the works? Well, it, it, it's interesting. So uh, back at Hulu, uh, you know, when we were in the middle of Hulu, I actually got to know um, a number of the folks, uh, not just at AT&T, but obviously also at Warner Media, who, who was a partner, um, eventually a, an equity partner in Hulu, but also a content partner from the very early days. And so, um, so my interactions with Warner Media go back a long, long way. Uh, but in terms of like when things got serious uh, with, with AT&T, uh, that was this year. And so um, so as things progressed and things seemed to make a lot of sense on both sides, obviously that's what resulted in today. And when you think about this opportunity, like I guess there's been a lot of, you've been rumored for so many jobs over the last, you know, I guess, I can't remember exactly when you left Hulu now. It's been a while. Uh, and then you obviously had a startup that, um, you know, you ended up selling to Verizon. But I guess there's been a lot of speculation about what job you would ultimately take. I guess, what was it about this specific job that said, this is what I'm ready to do. This is the big opportunity. It's a great question. I'd say that, um, and this is just my opinion uh, for what it's worth, is that when you think about the next 10 to 15 years of the services that are going to matter for consumers across the globe, I do think that there's an element of um, scale, which is really important. Uh, and by scale, I mean just economic ability to invest in premium content, um, uh, to be able to have a library is certainly very helpful, not just in terms of existing productions that can be uh, presented again. Um, but then, you know, I'm also a big believer that a library contains intellectual property that can be reimagined. And, and I think obviously Disney has shown that in spades. Um, and I think Warner Media has a huge opportunity there. And so when I looked at it, I, you know, kind of, you know, think that there's a precious few kind of chess pieces or assets or, or, or capabilities that exist out there. And I think Warner Media is one of them. And, and, and so the opportunity to work with great people, the opportunity to have those things that I just mentioned, along with infusing ever more, and, and, and make the mistake, Warner Media started this long ago, but ever more technology into the company. 
I, I think that's a pretty fun sandbox and, and I get a kick out of what, what could happen. And a lot of this is about inventing the future. So my hope is if we do this again in five years, that we're talking about a bunch of stuff that doesn't exist today. Um, and, and I think that happens because there's this amazing existing set of things and then there's technology and creativity and invention. And so, so that's, that's why I was attracted to it. Well, look, there, go ahead. <laughs> um, is there a low hanging fruit on the technology side? I mean, if you look at a lot of these traditional media companies, uh, including um, Warner Media, um, they they don't really have a technology DNA. Um, what needs to be done to change the DNA in the company? And is there low hanging fruit and things that you can accomplish right away to sort of bridge the gap between L.A. and San Francisco and Silicon Valley? Yeah, so I, I I I haven't started there yet, and I, I'll I'll start on May first. So it'd be you know kind of obviously presumptuous of me to say anything definitive because I, I just don't know. Uh, Brandon uh, is the short answer, but um, if if you know kind of I, I'll comment at a general level about most media companies uh, that I've interacted with, which is in some cases there's been a history of outsourcing a number of things. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, when we were building Hulu, we built everything in house, um, because we thought that was strategic. It was strategic to the customer experience. And anytime something strategic, uh, I think it's important to kind of develop that muscle capability yourself. And so, uh, so I ran into a lot of media companies down in Los Angeles that outsourced a lot of those things. Um, and by the way, not to jump to a different industry, but that happened as well in e-commerce in the nineties and early two thousands, where Amazon actually, um, was one of the people that um, was outsourced too. So Toys R Us and Target and all these other companies actually outsourced their e-commerce capabilities to Amazon. And so the same thing happened in media. And so one of the things that I'm a believer of is to develop that skill set in-house because uh, as Mark Andreessen has said, every company is a technology company these days or certainly needs to be. And so now the good news is Warner Media got that uh, and they understand that. And so they built up a lot of software developers uh, across the company, both uh, in Seattle and New York City, et cetera. So what I hope to be able to bring is to just, uh, you know, kind of celebrate the importance of those folks and to add to that uh, roster, um, because the more things that can be done, which are strategic from a technical perspective in-house, I think is going to serve uh, Warner real well on the road ahead. You know, when you... Basically, just before you left Hulu, you wrote that infamous memo that basically talked about what was going to happen uh, to TV. And, you know, I, I don't want to say you can see the future, but I honestly think that of, of everybody who wrote about where the world was going, you did an amazing job predicting the future. And I guess just the that ruffled a lot of feathers at the time. Uh, obviously, a lot has changed since then. Uh, obviously, you no longer work for a, a three-headed um you know, I don't, want, I don't even know what the right word is, a three-headed company that was trying to get to consensus. How do you think now a company like AT&T is going to handle some of your outspoken views? I mean, obviously, you have very strong feelings about where the world is going and how technology and media collide. Yeah, I think that um, the, the good news is that, uh, you know, the, the, the folks at AT&T, they read, read that memo, and, and, and I'm sure people uh, kind of I've read press clippings about you know my 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 journey at, at Hulu and all those things, um, and I I'd hope that's a benefit, Rich. I I I I um I know I'm biased when I say that, but uh, I think any when you're in the business of inventing and being a pioneer and creating and trying to get to the other side of the river, so to speak, I think you have to have a backbone 
um, and be able to have um, some degree of courage to be able to share your thoughts. And now it's really important as well to come at it from a position of humility. Uh, and that's important, not just for interpersonal relationships, but it's also important to have that humility so that you can hear what the customer is telling you. And so when I wrote that memo, it, 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 I tried to do it from a perspective of being humble in the face of the customer and then uh, do the best I could to um, do it without emotion and to just say, hey, I, th this is what I believe. And we say this based on what we're hearing from customers. So I'll continue to do that. I think that's really important. And, and I hope that the entire organization does that as well, because when you can get everybody rowing in the same direction, which is towards what customers are telling you and then inventing on top of that, um, God, that's a powerful dynamic. And so um, so I hope to bring, you know, a little bit of that uh, going forward, maybe a lot of that going forward, because I think that's important, particularly in these times. I mean, you know, we all see the data, we all see the stats. And, and I think that sense of urgency is critical. So, so AT&T is coming up on owning Warner for about two years now. Um, just kind of a follow on to that. How much do you think the culture there has changed? Like, so to the, to the extent you're talking about the memo and, and kind of, I think you were talking about some cultural issues. Is it something where you believe that you need to formulate a new culture? Is the culture where it needs to be? Because there's obviously been some, some changeover in kind of who's, who's running different, di different things. What got, what got you comfortable with where the culture is today and how much do you think it needs to change in order for uh, everyone to be successful? I think you're absolutely right, Walt, that there's been, a, I think, a, a fair bit of cultural change in the last year and a half. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from what had historically been three very distinct and separate um, businesses um, uh, with their own HR systems, their own, you know, kind of infrastructure that was unique and, and, and didn't, you know, kind of uh, uh, have any uh, <laughs> commonality. I, I think uh, clearly the last 18 months have been about trying to bring that together. In some ways, if you take a look at Disney, Disney has very distinct brands and very distinct you know, lines of business, but they do have common technical foundations and, and common HR systems and, and whatnot. And so that, that's the work that I think has uh, a lot of work has been done over the last 18 months. And, yeah. and, I, and while I don't know, because keep in mind that I haven't started yet, but my observation is that that's been a pretty darn big cultural shift. And so in terms of what happens going forward, I think that I'd say two things. One is that culture is like a very large ocean going vessel, vessel in that uh, these things do not pivot on a dime and, and, and they're very sort of important, but they also are sort of, you know, kind of slower in terms of, uh, of their adjustment in terms of direction. And so what I need to do is I need to go and, and, and be excited, uh, you know, to, to learn about the culture that is Warner Media. And I might find that, my God, this is, you know, kind of uh, better than I could have hoped in terms of, you know, kind of the values and principles that people hold dear. Um, but there might be some things that I feel like, hey, there might be the benefit of adding this, this new element to the culture. And, and I, I hope that, you know, kind of I can be successful in doing that because there's been a long history of CEOs that have been uh, kind of um, thought that they, you know, could and should change things dramatically when it came to culture. And I, I don't think there's a very good history there. I think it's important to, you know, first approach it humbly and understand what's great about things and to embrace that and double down on it. And then maybe add some things around the edges that uh, are really important for the road ahead. You know, John Stanky, when this merger was occurring uh, between Time Warner at the time and AT&T, repeatedly used the phrase, we're in the war for, you know, time. Like we need more minutes of our consumer's day. You know, I look at, you know, a service like Netflix that has sort of become, 
uh, you know, almost like basic cable, I think is the term Brandon likes to use when he refers to like where Netflix sits today. You know, it, it, it's like something you kind of just keep coming back to every single day. I, yeah. I guess when you look, when you look at kind of HBO Max, do you think HBO Max can be that type of kind of broad reach vehicle that touches on all parts of the consumer base? You know, obviously Disney's gone very niche with Disney Plus. Yes. It's not for everyone. You That's seem right. to have a very different strategy. And I'd love just your views on how you're thinking about what you, what HBO is trying to do with Max relative to, to the overall universe. Yeah, so I, it's a great question. And I think that, um, and again, I'm going to caveat everything I'm about to say with, um, I haven't started yet. <laughs> so I want to make sure everybody understands. I'm happy to have the same kind of, you know, kind of session with you guys, say, later this year after I've, I've gotten deep into it. But um, here's my thoughts is that I think that, you know, you know, kind of, for example, the Disney Plus approach, which is a narrow, you know, family entertainment focused uh, 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 sensibility makes a ton of sense for Disney and what Disney is very, very good at. Um, and to your question about is there room for more than one basic cable type programming provider? I think the answer is yes, but the proof is in the pudding. Like, like it all comes down to um, what's the content? Is it stories that are well to told that you feel like I just need to be consuming this content because it's fantastic and people are talking about it and they love it. And, and so like, that's a very, very important thing. And then as you've said many times, Rich, the technology needs to work. Like it needs to be seamless. It needs to be personalized. It needs to be something that is a delight to use so that um, you don't even notice it. And so, so I, I think the answer is yes, but, but it's subject to executing on things that are incredibly hard. Um, and, and obviously that's why, where I fall back on, you know, folks like, you know, Sarah Aubrey and Bob Greenblatt and Casey Bloys and, and, and the whole, you know, crew uh, within Anne's organization from a content perspective, and then tremendous stuff going on with, you know, kind of the technology group in terms of Jeremy Legg and Jason Pressman and the whole crew. And so, so I, uh, I get excited about that. Um, but again, I haven't started yet. So I want, I want to, uh, you know, make sure you know that, um, on this one, um, I'll, I'll have to defer to later on this year to be able to talk about it with any conviction in terms of actual knowledge. And I, I know you haven't started yet, but when, when you think about HBO Max and kind of the content that's on there, and, and we talked about Netflix being the modern age basic cable, but the one thing it doesn't have is sports and news. Do you, yeah. you have sports and news properties under your umbrella. Does it make sense to, in your early view to have those be a part of HBO Max as a, a more all-encompassing, um, over-the-top offering? I think it might. I mean, I, I know that I, I'll just speak as a consumer. Um, I would love it. I mean, I'm a huge basketball fan uh, uh, for anyone who knows me well. So um, I would love to see uh, basketball, uh, not just – sort of the traditional games, but but I get so excited about all the formats that I consume every single day about basketball on other services. And and I just think about, you know, the kinds of things that can be on screen during an NBA game, during a, a March Madness game. Um, I just I get so excited about, you know, bringing that to market uh, in partnership with some great people. Um, so, so yes, uh, is, is a short answer that I, I certainly hope that that is a part of the future. And then in terms of news, um, I, I think what we're going through right now with COVID-19 
it's a great reminder of the criticality of a, of, of a service like CNN. And so, and, 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 and Jeff Zucker and his team have done an unbelievable job digitally over the years. And so I, I, I have to believe that when you think about ways to differentiate a user experience, leaning into your strengths and CNN is at the top of that list, along with, with, with you know, kind of Warner Brothers and, and all the HBO things, of course. Uh, and so now that said, this is just me as a consumer talking, and I can't wait till May to actually dig into it and see what the rest of the crew has been thinking about and dreaming about with regards to those things. Well, one of the things that just your ability to invest in at all the there's just the the you know the, what's going on with Corona and COVID nineteen right now going forward or any of the partners' ability to invest in some VOD content. Oh, say that again, Walt. I, I missed the first does, part. Does does COVID um, have any impact on how much people are going to invest in in content near term, long term? Does it impact any potential partners' viability? Do you mean consumers' investment, or do you mean the the production yeah, the entity like Warner producers, Brothers? Or Warner? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Um, I mean, there's no, I I, I don't know the answer, uh, but I, something tells me that given an economic um, event like we have right now, I have to believe that there's going to be some production entities, smaller ones that are not as well capitalized, that are clearly clearly going to suffer, much like small mom and pop businesses are suffering right now. And there's a big question of geez, is the local restaurant going to come back uh, at the end of this thing? And so I do believe there's going to be a, a lot of pressure with some uncertain outcomes on smaller production entities where they were had financing before this, but they might not have financing on the tail end of this. Um, I, I, I would think that when you get to sort of the, the cast of players that, that you all know very well, it seems to me that the the, the, the capitalization is well in hand for, 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 for the kind of the, the bigger folks. And, and, and an intent and to invest on top of the capitalization being obviously available to Warner Media, the intent to invest. Yeah, so there's certainly, yes is the short answer based on everything that all the conversations that I've had. Um, and again, one of the things that I don't know, uh, you know how this plays out, but when you think about all of us sitting at home, sheltering in place, the desire for new and interesting content um, stream direct to consumers, I think it's higher today than it was two months ago. And so from that perspective, I can tell you that my orientation um, as an investor is to lean into that. Um, I, I do think that these are kind of moments. And by the way, back at the beginning of Hulu, we had this interesting consumer behavior moment, which was when Tina Fey impersonated Sarah Palin on Saturday Night Live. And there was a bit of a consumer behavior sort of moment and it really helped Hulu. And, and, and without that, we probably would have had a very different growth trajectory in that first year. I think COVID-19 in some ways can provide a very different sort of um, impact on the growth trajectory of not just HBO Max, but other services. Um, and so that's my inclination, but I, I don't know well in terms of how this plays out. Because the fear right now, just to follow up on Walt's question, the fear across not just you know Warner Media, AT and T, but the fear among investors that we've been talking to, is look, oh my God, this is a, a you know an, a, a kind of crazy event. No one's ever anticipated this. Financials are going to get hurt across the board. Everyone is going to is going to suffer. That means that rather than ramping investment in direct to consumer that is just starting for everyone, everyone's going to pull back and go slower. And I think it's nice to hear that at least your inclination, um, again, I realize you haven't started, but the inclination to continue to move forward and maybe even accelerate to take advantage of this, I think is really exciting relative to what I think a lot of investors are worried about right now. Um, you know, Reed Hastings congratulated you on Twitter a little while ago saying, congratulations, Jason, scary for us to have to have you there, but great for the world that HBO will be strong. And I, and I raise that mostly because you've had a very different philosophy of, even if I go back to that, you know, 
quote unquote bad boy letter that you wrote at the end of your Hulu days, you were a very strong believer that advertising and subscription fused together really made the ideal consumer product. Uh, John Stanky, when he rolled out HBO Max with uh, Tony and Andy, you know, Andy being your former teammate from Hulu, obviously talked to or alluded to the fact that there'd be an ad supported element to HBO Max. Maybe just walk us through, kind of refresh us on why you so strongly believe in the combination of subscription and advertising. Sure thing. And, And I'm also a believer for the consumers that want it and value it to have an ad free experience. I, I subscribe to every service on the planet when it comes to premium video, cause I'm a, I'm a video nut. Um, and so I have both flavors um, in terms of ad free and ad supported. But the reason why I'm such a big believer in it, Rich, is that it provides consumers choice. So um, uh, in a world where all of us had unlimited funds, uh, of course, I, 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 it'd be easy to make everything ad free, um, but that's not the world we live in. We live in a situation where a lot of uh, people around the world don't have, unli- nobody has unlimited funds, but, but, but a lot of people, it, it's a real challenge to make the bills work each month. And so to be able to provide choice to a consumer to say, hey, we're going to make sure that you can choose how to get access to this great content. It can either be priced at a premium with no advertising or it can be several dollars less with a modest amount of advertising that is well executed. And, and that last part is really important. Um, and then you let the consumer decide. And, 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 and in the case of Hulu, that decision led to the majority of people choosing the lower price with a modest amount of advertising that was well executed. Um, and so, so that's one of the reasons why I'm a big believer in it, or it's the number one reason why I'm a big believer in it, because it, it doesn't it doesn't dictate to consumers, hey, this is the way it's going to be. It gives them the option and the choice so that they can do what's best for them. Jason, you, you also have a, a video game business under the Warner Media umbrella. Um, there's been debate as to whether that's something, to whether that's or not that that's a business that you guys should sell off or perhaps even go the other way and get and make much bigger. What are your early thoughts on how uh, the video game business fits into the larger puzzle and what needs to happen there? So I, I wish I could talk um, in a deep way about Warner Media's specific uh, gaming business. Um, I, ju- I just don't have the, 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 the experience uh, of getting to know it yet. So I, I literally haven't you know, sat down and, and, and been taken through that business. So, but I can talk to you at a macro level about uh, gaming and interactivity, um, and I'm really bullish on it. Like I, I just, you know, I, 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 you know, I think Fortnite is the most recent example of something that it matters, and it matters deeply. Not just in terms of number of people that are using Fortnite, but the number of minutes that they're using Fortnite. And so I, I, um, I think that um, you know, with regards to sort of where the world's heading, I just think that gaming is going to be more important on the road ahead than it is today. And today it's already really important. And so I'm bullish and I'm a buyer, so to speak, to use stock market uh, parlance of, of, of the index funds of gaming. Um, and so, uh, so I get excited. I, and now what that means in the context of Warner Media, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't know. But, uh, but my gosh, when you think about it from the perspective of intellectual property, you know, you're looking at probably one of the top two or top three companies in the world when it comes to intellectual property. And so that's, that's a pretty good deck of cards. And so, um, but, but at a high level, I'm very, very long and bullish on, on gaming. The other thing AT&T, oh, Brandon, sorry, are you done? Oh, nope. Go ahead, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
when AT&T first bought Warner, there was some discussion about the power of the of what the wireless base did and maybe making, you know, episodes. Just curious if, if that was in part of your dialogue uh, before coming on, how important the wireless subscriber base meant to the content and, and some of the things that that um, um, that they were still excited about or that maybe you're excited about or maybe not in terms of the, pushing the content forward. Yeah, I'd say that um, as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, there's this sort of old saying that when you're a first time entrepreneur, your belief is that product is absolutely everything and, and everything else takes care of itself as long as you have the, the right product. And then when you're a second or third time entrepreneur, you, you recognize that, hey, of course you have to have a world-class product, but you also have to figure out the riddle of distribution. And, and having been around the block um, a number of times, um, I'm a believer in that latter statement. Um, and, and so what I can tell you is helpful for sure is that AT&T has 170 million direct consumer relationships with a device that really, really matters to people, which is their cellular service uh, and their cellular device. So that's that's how I think about it, just very simply, which is, okay. What about, is that what thing? about specialized products? I mean, there's there's been Go90 and now, I guess, Quibi and like, it's product that or content that's specifically designed for the base. Does that, is that, do you think important? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't understand the question. So on that one, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you about a service that I absolutely adore, which is TikTok. And, uh, and, and when I look at that and I think How's about that. How's your TikTok that, game? Are, uh, do, we see good, do we see good TikToks on your account? I want to know. No, please don't encourage Rich to put on more TikToks. Why don't you share your handle with everyone right now so we could see what's going on? Uh, it, you're not going to see much, but it's a, I'm on there every day. But it's just my name at Jason Kyler. So, uh, so anyway. Promo. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 to talk about TikTok for a second, you know, while that is a great example of a format that I think is custom built for the mobile device. Um, now it's not premium. Um, I think it's going to get more and more premium every day from certain contributors, just like we've seen with Instagram and just like like we've seen with uh, YouTube. Um, but um, so those are the types of, of things that I get you know, excited about because I, I think that consumers are responding to them and kudos to the TikTok team because I think what they did relative to Instagram is they basically you know, took a step back and realized that the job to be done was to entertain consumers. Uh, and Instagram does more than just that. And so what TikTok I think did is they said, well, let's just focus on the entertaining thing. And they have this algorithm that's very clear, which is if you do something entertaining, We'll give you distribution. Uh, and by the way, we're going to provide a lot more density, higher density about entertainment, which is screen, you know, kind of, you know, kind of wall to wall video as opposed to a lot of white space. And it's just going to keep going in terms of scrolling. And so, so anyways, that uh, um, is, uh, um, you know, something that I think is uh, really important to know about uh, mobile, which is to create things that are organic to the, to the device and, and to kind of lean into it. So, so it's a long answer to your simple question. I mean, that's more like letting other people do it. I'm just curious whether you'd use the own, your own studio to, to try and create content specifically for the, for the mobile device. I, I hope so. One second, I'm trying to get my, my phone. There we go. Somebody's trying to call me, which is like it rattles in your ear while you're trying to have a conversation. So, uh, um, we're, but, we're all um, still learning Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Zoom. This one was an iPhone. We won't have so. not been bombed, Zoom bombed or whatever that's called. That would be bad. So, exactly. Hope that doesn't happen. But, but, but uh, the, I, I'll tell you that the, um, uh, in terms of premium content and creating it for mobile devices, 
I think it, it it's a high bar, but you have to make sure that you've you've kind of come up with something that you believe does a better job than incumbent services, yep. um, and it, it is fresh and interesting. Um, and so, um, so while I obviously I haven't you know kind of you know uh, kind of gotten in the building yet, um, I'm I'm obviously very bullish on mobile devices. But I think when it comes to a service, you just have to you have to exceed some very high bars. Um, and never lose sight of that. And so, um, so uh, too early to tell, but but I'm, I'm I'm very long on mobile devices. You know, as you can imagine, as everybody else is, I think. So now there's a question that I ask sort of everyone in the media space now um, that you get the hot seat on, which is, how do you think about what goes where? You know, you've yes. got lots of choices. You can put all of your content. You know, if you have a great new show from Warner Brothers Television, it can go on to one of your cable networks, it can go to HBO Max, it could go to just HBO, it could go to a third party and be an arms dealer. Uh, it could go to movie theaters or it could go directly like the rom-com deal you did with, you know, Hello Sunshine that's gonna show up on HBO Max. Like my, my point is, is like, how do you gonna decide? Like, how do you think about what goes where and what, what you know, do you wanna be all internal like Disney or do you wanna have a more flexible approach? I can't wait. This is the this is the question, Rich, and I cannot wait to get in the room with some really smart people at Warner Media and and hear their thoughts on this and to have a fun debate. Um, I think this topic is probably what's going to be the biggest noticeable change in the next thirty six months in media. Uh, so this is not just about Warner Media. This is about everything um, because. You know, it's fascinating. I mean, it used to be, I mean, Rich, you know this so well, back in 2007, Hulu was by no uncertain terms, a and Netflix, a second, if not third, if not fourth window service. That's just the way it was because we didn't have a lot of consumers. Um, and um, of course, things were going to be monetized first theatrically, then maybe on cable television, then maybe on, or I should say premium cable, then cable or broadcast, et cetera. So, Hulu and Netflix were the very end of the line in terms of when it showed up on those services. I believe that we're going to live in a world where a lot of times the first window is going to be the direct consumer services. And then it's a question of how do you manage it in other different ways. I'm not saying that that's a sort of an absolute, and I'm not saying it applies to all content, but it, it's, it's something very interesting happens, which is when you get to a scale in terms of number of subscribers worldwide, uh, and, and have the economics that accrue to a very low variable cost of business in terms of distribution, um, you, you tend to say, well, wait a minute, where is this most valuable? And it might be as a first window on a direct-to-consumer service as opposed to on a cable network or on a broadcast channel. And so so this is going to be fascinating. And, and obviously, these decisions are not to be made lately. And I'm, I'm, I'm not showing anything other than sort of a, a person's opinion who has yet to get, get in the, the room. Um, and, and by the way, I'm sure and I know that great people within Warner Media are, are, are heavily debating this conversation. And, uh, and I just can't wait to at least be a part of it um, because I think it's going to be a big deal. Maybe just last topic because it kind of ties to that, which is just, you know, I, look, I have three kids, uh, 9, 12 and 16. I know you've got kids, um, you know, probably around those Same ages age as well. No, yeah, I know. I know. I, we've had this discussion about summer camp, um, uh, you know. Uh, when you think about, um, you know, their views, like my daughters do not understand why it takes nine months for a movie that comes out in the theaters to get onto HBO, let alone HBO Max when it hits. I mean, you know, there is this just, you know, forget about what's going on right now with movie theaters closed and with all the disruption in the world. Fundamentally, for the last several years, they've been struggling to understand 
why they have to wait so long. And I think it's going to be interesting to me to see from, from your standpoint how you're able to figure out the future and navigate that. Because I, I think that, that that challenge of how do you deal with kind of longstanding windows uh, and, and kind of put the consumer first rather than the legacy business model and, and you know, how do you get the organization prepared to sort of break a little glass in order to move forward? I think it's a, it, it, this is such a relevant topic. And, and I know that um, uh, the, the dynamics are tough because let's put ourselves, let's pretend that we were all CEOs of a movie theater business. So we run AMC or, 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 or Regal or, or one of those services. It, 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 you know, if you're in their shoes, what are you going to do? You're going to basically argue until the cows come home that you want not a nine month window, you want a 12 month window because the more exclusivity you get for your business model, the better off you are. Now, unfortunately that is one, you know, that's just one person's opinion. Then as you said, there's the consumer opinion and then there's the studio's opinion and others that, that, that partake in the whole value chain. And so, so you're right. This is, um, this is not easy, and, and I think that my, my view of this over the last 10 years has been that studios in general would love to push uh, more aggressively there. Uh, now, that said, the theaters um, would love to push more aggressively in the other direction. And so I think what's so fascinating about this current moment in time, which I think most of this is people acting pragmatically more than anything else, and, and I know that um, others have said that, is that we are getting a little taste of what does this look like? Uh, because I can tell you that like stepping away from a theatrical release for something that feels like a theatrical event is a pretty scary thing to do because you have to hope that there's enough people on the other side in a direct-to-consumer world day and date to kind of make it work and make the economics work. And so, but the good news is we're a lot closer to that point, Rich, today in 2020 than we were in 2007. And so, uh, you know, I, I do believe that whether it's our kids or whether it's sort of, you know, kind of some version of that, I think we are going to live in a world eventually. Um, and, I, and I'm not speaking about anything specifically or in the moment, but I have to believe that consumers are going to be able to have the choice and they're going to be, you know, different price points about how to do that when it comes to what you get to watch and when you get to watch it. So obviously it, it, it's the question, one of the big questions of the day. Okay. So then we just have to end with, we've got, you know, all this, you know, Warner Media content up on the screen in front of you. But honestly, what is your favorite show on HBO? I mean, everybody wants to know right now, what is the Jason Kalar go-to show? Well, so by far, and, and, and just because it means so much to me, Band of Brothers has been probably wow. the most important piece of content uh, in my life. Uh, and so, um, so I, it just, I think it's one of the greatest pieces of storytelling uh, in the history of television. Um, and so I, uh, um, I, I just wish, uh, you know, kind of, uh, instead of making, you know, kind of, uh, I wish there was five times as much of that content in terms of, you know, kind of the Eastern, the, the European theater. I, I'm just such a sucker for that. And what got me wasn't just the location and what happened and the sacrifice. It was the individual stories and the characters. So bar nine band of brothers is, 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 is my, by, by far my favorite show. Well, we look forward to talking to you when you've actually been in the job and actually have to be able to, to actually know exactly what those in-the-room conversations have been like and, and how you're shaping the business. But, you know, look, on very short notice, the team at Lightshed and everyone who's uh, you know, logged on to watch this, we really appreciate your time, Jason, and we all wish you the best of luck in the new gig. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Rich. And Walt, Thanks. thank you a ton. And Brandon, it's nice. great to see you. And, and go Huli. <laughs> <laughs> Later.
Take care.